Amen. Just giving praise this morning. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Acts chapter 2. This morning, I want to share a message that, that I actually haven't shared in a while, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting me to dig this one out of the archives and share it this morning with you. It's called God is Glorified in Community. And, I, you know, I believe that God is doing something supernatural uh, at Celebration. The past couple of weeks, we've taken a look at uh, becoming backyard missionaries and how we reach out and invite our friends and our families to church. But you know what? There's also an element of being a missionary here at Celebration. God has called each one of us to, to step up and find our place here at Celebration. There, there are folks all around us that are hurting, that need relationship. You know, this week, um, one of the things that I've challenged our staff to do this week and uh, the past couple of weeks, actually, is to come up with a list of words that would identify the, the culture that we want to have here at our church and in our ministries. If, if you had to narrow down what, what celebration is and what we want our church to be, and as, as a pastor, staff pastor, staff member, what do you want your ministry to look like? And identify some of those key words. And so the top on everyone's list, number one on everyone's list, was relational. We want to be a relational church, a relational uh, people that have relationships outside of church, outside of just what's happening within our ministry. We want to build connections and relationships with people. That's exciting. That's that's the heart of, of our leaders here at this church, is to be a relational church, a church that has uh, interconnectedness beyond the four walls. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that we want to find those ways that we can connect with each other, that we form relationships with each other outside of church, and that even here, while we're here, that we come together and that we begin to minister to the hurting and the broken that are around us. You know, last Sunday we had an awesome, awesome altar time around the front, an awesome time of ministry after the preaching. And you know, there was some awesome things taking place. You know, one of the things that, that I tell people all the time is that the, the altar call, fish are jumping in the boat at this altar. Fish are jumping in the boat. Jesus is transforming lives at this altar. And, and I don't know about you, but there's, there's two things about the altar. One, I want to be right in the middle of it. God changed me. I want to be transformed. Do your work in my life. But then also, God, I want to be a part of seeing you transform someone else's life. I don't want to just be selfish and keep it all to myself. I want to be a part of what you're doing in somebody else's life as well. And so, you know, last week we had an awesome time of ministry. And, um, you know, we had testimonies of people getting breakthrough, people being set free, people being born again. We had um, depression, suicide, you know, all sorts of things that came out last week during the, during the altar ministry. That's awesome. That's exciting. And so I want to say to you that God is doing something supernatural here. And you may not fully understand it. You may not fully understand everything that's happening. I don't always fully understand. I just say, God, come give us insight. Give us direction. Show us in your word what you're doing. Speak to us. And all I got to say is, Lord, we just want more of you. More of you and less of me. And so I hope that's your prayer this morning. And in uh, the Bible, we see a couple of examples of this supernatural community that takes place within our church. How is it that God takes messed up you and I 
with all of our issues, how many have issues? I ask this every week, and we're getting better responses week after week. I think everybody's having revelation that we have issues now. So that's good. We're making progress. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we all have issues. That's breakthrough. And so we realize that we have issues. How does God take each one of us that's messed up, all of our mistakes, all of our sins, all of our issues, weights, cares, concerns, and he blends us together. He takes us and supernaturally forms this supernatural community called the church. You and I are called out of this world. You and I are called out, set apart from this world, not, not to be separate, but to called out to live different. Say that again. You and I are called out of this world not to live separate. We don't move into some Christian commune all of a sudden and have no interaction with the world around us. That's not what Jesus did. We absolutely have interaction with those around us. But, but we live different. We have a hope that's different. We have a calling that's different. We live a life that's different and set apart. People see something different about you and I and how we live and interact with people. How does God take all of us messed up, crazy people and make that happen? It's supernatural. And in Scripture, we see two examples of this that, that come to mind. First off is Jesus' disciples. He's got 12 goofy guys that, that are fishermen. They're not business professionals. You know, they're, they're messed up. They all, you know, whatever, have their issues. Y'all know what I'm saying. God takes them, selects them, handpicks them out of their professions, out of their home lives, out of their families, and says, come follow now I got, I, I've just got to say, if some random guy walks up to me and says, hey, come follow me, I may look at them and give them a weird look, and I, I may hesitate for a minute on following them and, and going after them. But Jesus had power in his words. There was power in his life, power in his ministry. There was something different about him. And when you and I live in this supernatural place with Christ and we begin to live supernatural lives, there's power in what we say with those around us. We have, we have an ability to say, hey, come follow. I want to I disciple you. I want to mentor you. I want you to be a part of what God's doing in my life. And we begin to minister to those around us supernaturally. And, of course, then we find uh, Jesus. So Jesus and the disciples is one example. And then if we go all the way back to the garden in, in Genesis, we see another great example of community. Here we have uh, Adam and Eve in the middle of the garden enjoying Christ-centered, God-centered fellowship. Their, their life, as far as they needed to know, everything was taken care of. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They had supernatural fellowship, supernatural relationship with God. And so that's... That's really where God is trying to get all of us to is back to that garden, back to the place of intimacy with him, back to the place where we enjoy fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. So I want to take a look from Acts this morning at how God creates supernatural community in our church. The first thing we see if you go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. 
And they were, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Verse 7. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were, in which we were born? And they go through and list all of them. And verse 11, and we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others mocking said, they are full of new wine. And Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised a voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so he continues, and he goes on, and he prophesies. God is glorified in our community, in this body, in this body of believers. He's glorified by taking the many parts of the body, all of us, the many that we are, and he forms us and makes us as one voice. He takes us in, in our different backgrounds, in our economic backgrounds, in our educational backgrounds. He takes all of the backgrounds and all of the differences and all the variances that are represented in this room today. And he makes us and forms us together as one voice. We move as one body. Just like we referenced earlier, Jehoshaphat and all the worshipers went out saying, praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. We all have different backgrounds and we all have different religious backgrounds and we all have different economic backgrounds but one thing is sure that when the Spirit of God comes and he settles on a church he takes those backgrounds and he blends us together and we begin to declare as one body praise the Lord his mercy endures forever we have one vision one heart one mind we're reaching this city for Christ we're not staying in our mess of the past we're not dwelling on the things that were we're moving forward in the things that God has for us we're living in in the present and seeing God do things supernatural naturally in the future. Amen. And so I said, God, take all of our voices, take all of our talents, take all of our gifts, take all of our skills, take all of our resources. Lord, whatever it is, take it all, blend it together, put it in the big old gumbo pot of the Holy Ghost and make something supernatural with it. What's a gumbo pot? Y'all are looking at me and say, you silly southerner. The gumbo pot, everything goes in the gumbo pot. Everything goes in. You got some, oh Lord, you got the okra, you got the chicken, you can do seafood gumbo, you can do all sorts of gumbo. But it all goes in this big old roux and the big old pot. You mix it all together and it looks absolutely nasty. But when you take a bite of it, it is the most wonderful thing ever. And, I, and God wants to do that. My wife is a true Cajun. God wants to do that in your life. He wants to take all of the meat and spices and the everything and mix it all together. And it may not look pretty. You may look a little messed up. And you, you can look like Lazarus, still have your grave clothes on you. But that's okay. You've got, you just came out of the grave. You've got something to share. You've got something to shout about. You just came out of death. What was dead is now alive. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You... You may not, 
You may not feel or look great, but you begin to let out your voice, let out your shout. And I'm telling you, you got something to shout about this morning. Well, you, you know, you keep talking about in worship how we ought to linger and we need to pray in the spirit and we, we need to press in and we need to pray through and all of these things. I'm not used to that. You may be sitting there saying, I'm not used to opening up my mouth and actually praying out loud. Well, now's a good time as ever to get started. How is the Holy Ghost ever going to take your voice and blend it with others' voices if you never open up your mouth? Psalms 126 says, He filled my mouth with laughter. There's an overflow, there's an abundance that comes out of your mouth when you begin to saturate in the presence of God. There's an overflow that comes out. The the problem, the, the hiccup here may be that you're not saturating. When you saturate, there's an abundance. There's an overflow that comes out. But when you saturate in his presence and you receive from God, it's just like a sponge. You take, you take your sponge and a big old five-gallon bucket of water. You can, you can set that sponge on top and let it float around and it looks all cute floating on the top. Or you can take that sponge and you plunge it to the bottom of that bucket and you, and you hold it there for a while. You pull that sponge up and there's some overflow coming out of that sponge. You and I need to be like that sponge that there's some overflow coming out of our lives, that we're not satisfied with just floating around on the top. God, just plunge me all the way to the bottom. I want to go all the way. I want to be absolutely saturated and satiated with your presence. God takes all of us. God's glorified in community by taking all of us and making us as one. Notice, I find it interesting that the Bible says that Peter stood up with the eleven. And he begins to preach. He begins to take the the word of God from Joel. And he begins to preach and prophesy. You know, it's very interesting here that the spirit of God came upon men. He anointed men to step up as leaders and to lead that church, to lead that body. He anointed. There was no arguing. There was no fighting. Well, Peter, I think you should lead. No, I think you should lead, James. No, Mary's back there. Mary ought to lead. Now, there's no arguing over who was going to take authority or take, take the lead. God came on them. He anointed men to lead and they stepped up and they began to lead under the unction of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that when Peter raised his voice and he declared to the people, the word there is elevated discourse. It's the same type of word that's used when it says they spoke in tongues. It's the same same type of meaning that, that they spoke a heavenly language and he spoke an elevated discourse. He spoke a heavenly discourse meaning that when Peter stood up he began to prophesy under under unction of the Holy Spirit to the people. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit. And I say, God, let, let your anointing, let the Holy Ghost mantle fall on us this morning. Man, I believe everybody in this room has something to say. Everybody in this room has a testimony of the Holy Ghost at work in your life. Some of you have been born again for 40, 50 years, and others of you maybe just a couple of years. It doesn't matter if the Holy Ghost is at work in your life, if you're born again and you know Jesus for yourself, you have a testimony. You have a ministry to share with someone around you. It's the most exciting thing ever. You'll never have greater joy. I don't care if you're a fisherman, a golfer, baseball, a knitter, or a crocheter, or a whatever kind of person you like to do, just fill in the gap. I'm just pulling things randomly. Whatever it is that you enjoy doing, When you get full of the Holy Ghost, he makes those things funner. 
He, I guess the word there is more fun. He makes them more fun. I'm in the north. i got to use proper grammar. He makes, he makes things more fun. He makes them more enjoyable. And then all of a sudden, when you're out running with the baby in the drug stroller like my wife does on those trails, that, that then becomes, wow, I'm having fun doing personal exercise, but guess who I'm going to find around me who's going to start running with me? And guess what my wife does? She goes and finds people to run with her, and that becomes her discipleship time. I enjoy going to the, the gun range, and so I was looking up gun. I haven't had a chance to even find a gun range. I like going to the gun range. So I found a gun range, actually, right down the road from our house. And so guess what I'm going to be doing? Going to the gun range. Anybody got? Never mind. I won't ask. <laughs> Me and Tim, right there. And so those opportunities become a place for God to do something supernatural and form a fellowship, but also it becomes a time of ministry. Second way God is glorified in Acts chapter 2, we read on down in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter preaches. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, in verse 37, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all and anyone as they had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Man, I'm excited. I can't wait for that testimony of Celebration Church. And the Lord added daily to our church those who were being saved. If God added 3,000 in one day, what's that going to look like when God starts adding daily to our church those who are being saved? I, I, I'm looking around this morning and I see a lot of empty spaces. We have a a lot of space for souls that are being saved this morning. And when we fill this up, we'll make room for more. We'll add another service. We'll add small groups. We'll do whatever it takes to see people come into the kingdom and get discipled and get trained up and sent back out. And so we see here that God is glorified not only by making many voices one and in unison, but God is also glorified by supernatural ministry. When God begins to move in a church and something supernatural takes place in a church, there's supernatural ministry that results. The first thing we see here is that there is supernatural evangelism. 3,000 were added that day. When's the last time you saw 3,000 people make decisions for Christ at one time? Maybe never. Man, can you imagine 3,000 people jamming pack into this? I mean, it would fill up the sanctuary a couple times over. 
Lord, I say, let it come. Lord, we want to see. How does that happen? That happens by a group of people that were yielded, 120 people who were fully yielded to the Holy Ghost and said, God, we don't care what it looks like. We don't care what it tastes like. We don't care what it smells like. We don't care what, what, what shape, size, or color it comes in. We just have to have you. We can say all day long, God, we want a New Testament church. But when that homeless person that Heather was talking about walks in and walks up the middle aisle and gives their life to Christ standing here at the front, are we all going to look around and say, do you see him? Do you smell him? Oh, God, help us that, that we don't have a mentality that says everybody's got to look, think, and act like me. We just have to have more of you, God. And if that means the homeless are coming in and the drug addicts are coming in and, and the, those that are prostitutes are coming in, then I say, God, let it happen because you can transform their lives. And you know what? Well, you may be sitting there and thinking, well, there, there's going to be people mocking and making fun of, you know, if we start speaking in tongues and we get radical, we're going to be one of those holy roller churches. It happened in Acts 2. It happened in Acts 2. They thought they were intoxicated. They started saying, these people are drunk. When's the last time they said you were drunk? <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Not, a, not on natural alcohol either, on the Holy Ghost kind. It's okay. They're going to say things. People are going to mock, and they're not going to understand. That's why it's called Supernatural. But the last time I checked, any time there was a supernatural manifestation, souls were saved. Lives were transformed. There are going to be those who don't understand and they may run. But those whom the Holy Ghost has a hook in their mouth, it will be the very thing that draws them in. There are people all around us that the Holy Ghost has a hook in their mouth. And he's reeling them in. And he's reeling them in. And he's reeling them in. And who knows, but that one invite or that second invite, it may take you seven invites to get somebody to church. But when they finally show up, the very atmosphere of this room being charged with the presence of God is the very thing that they need in their life. Some people, I've had people get up and run out of service. I remember one time I, I heard, had a word from God for somebody, a, a girl in the service. I called her out after worship. And I, it was a fiery word from God. And it was about her getting her life right. It was like judgments coming type word and I don't I don't ever I, I think that's the only time that I've ever given that type of word it was heavy and the atmosphere was heavy with the presence of God and she turned and she ran out the back of the door her mom came up and she said you don't know it but she's she's been suicidal and all these things and God confronted her that morning with the reality she later got born again but sometimes we don't understand, we don't know why God does the things that he does and the ways that he does them. But that's not for me to figure out. When God says speak, I better open my mouth and I better speak. I, don't, I might not have another opportunity to share that word. So God begins to do supernatural evangelism in our mix. The, the, next, the next thing we see here is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, this word is interesting. They devoted, the word devoted themselves is the word in Greek, proskatero. It means to be preserved in. In other words, God wants to preserve you. The word preserve means to save 
and to keep from spoiling, to make ready for future use. God wants to keep you. He wants to save you from spoiling and make you ready for future use. Some of you look like you've already soured this morning, but God wants to take some of that Holy Ghost salt and begin to put it on your life and preserve you and saturate you with his presence so that you can step into something supernatural in the future of your life, that you can begin to walk in the things of God for your life. How does, that, how does that work? You've got to come. Whenever there's a service, you're in service. You're sitting under teaching. You're in small groups. You're in uh, uh, Sunday school. You're at service. Anytime there's an opportunity, you're in that opportunity, saturating, being preserved, being made ready for use. They were, they were kept in the apostles' teaching. Thirdly, the Bible says that they were enjoying supernatural fellowship. That word fellowship they continue in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. That word fellowship is the word koinonia. The word koinonia in the Greek is a powerful word. It's a very picturesque word that says that God wants us to be in a supernatural fellowship. It's like a marriage, a union, where we begin to give of ourselves and the other person begins to give of themselves. We join together in supernatural fellowship. When's the last time that you've let down those walls with someone around you and you begin to open up with someone and say, hey, this is what God's doing in my life. This is what God's speaking to me. These are areas of challenge in my life that I'm dealing with. These are areas of growth that God's working in me on. And you begin to open up and share what God's doing in your life with someone else. That supernatural fellowship. You begin to, and, and, and it's not just in relationship, it's in money. The koinonia is, is also used in fellowship with partnership in finances. That you bless those around you. Those who are hurting, those who are hurting financially, you support them and bless them financially. You, and we come together as a body. The Bible says that they had all things in common. They sold their possession, had all things in common. Now, I'm not telling you to go home and sell your house and take your mortgage and all those things and bring it to church, although that's not a bad idea. I'm just joking. I'm not telling you to go home and sell all your possessions and you got to bring, that's not what I'm saying. But they, they had such a fellowship and such a koinonia, such, a, you know, we don't even have a word in English to describe this koinonia. That there was such a partnership and such a union amongst the, the, the disciples that they, they were willing to give up their possessions so that someone else who was hurting could be taken care of. Y'all are quiet in here. You got really quiet on that one. We start talking about money and finances. It gets quiet. We have to have a koinonia fellowship, a supernatural fellowship with one another. Fourthly, he goes on to say that they had fellowship and then they were breaking of bread. In other words, they ate together. They went out to dinner together. They went to each other's homes. I mean, one of the greatest opportunities. And in coming, uh, coming up in a couple of months, one of the things that we want to see happen... I believe that everybody in this room, everyone in this room, has an opportunity to impact the people around you in a very practical way. And one of the ways that that can happen is through home group ministry. 
There's nothing like leading a group of maybe five to ten people in your home. It doesn't have to be a large group. I'm not saying 30 or 40 people. I'm talking five to ten people. That You have five to ten people coming to your home regularly for, for discussion about the Bible. You encourage one another. Hey, this is what God spoke to me on Sunday. That while Pastor Zach was preaching, this is what God spoke to me. And you begin to share about that. And you begin to talk about what God's doing in your life. And you begin to have this fellowship in your home. There's nothing like that. And I and in, in a few months we want to see some of these things take place, but um, where each of you could have a home group or assist leading a home group and seeing, man, how awesome to see five or ten people transformed in your home and see the group grow and have to multiply the group and start another group and see that group grow. How awesome is it to see discipleship happening practically in people's lives? And that's what was that's what was happening. That the the disciples and and all the believers would come together in large meetings much like this and they would sit under the apostles teaching and the teaching would take all day sometimes y'all are here for a couple hours and you think it's bad they would sit the bible says that paul in ephesus taught for eight hours a day he would sit can you imagine sitting under apostle paul's teaching for eight hours a day for two years that's what happened in, in acts 19 they would sit and they were saturated so much so it affected Ephesus became the revival center. You, you know, why do, we, why do we talk about saturation so much? Because the Ephesus saturated in teaching and the presence of God. And they got so saturated that God, God did a supernatural work in Ephesus. The Bible says in Acts 19 that extraordinary miracles were happening in Ephesus. That, now that's interesting. That's actually kind of comical because the whole New Testament is full of extraordinary miracles. I mean, we see, isn't, I mean, that's the nature of a miracle in itself, right? It's supernatural, it's, it's extraordinary. But the Bible says that they were so full, so saturated with the presence of God that extraordinary miracles began to happen. That they were taking handkerchiefs and clothing from Paul's body, taking it out to the demon possessed and the sick, and just by touching Things that Paul had touched, they were being healed and set free. And so, man, I'm all for saturation. If that's what happens when you saturate, then, Lord, I want to saturate. If it means I need to sit under eight hours of teaching a day, Lord, then let it come. I just, I need more. Expand my wineskins, Lord, to contain more. And so they had supernatural fellowship, and they were breaking bread together. They had home groups together. They would go home and from these large meetings, and they would go to each other's homes and talk about what God was doing in their lives. They stayed, they had, the Bible says they stayed steadfast to the apostles' doctrine. They were kept in. They were preserved by. And so the next word says that they were in prayer, in fellowship, in prayer. And that word used for prayer gives us indication of what they were doing when they were meeting in their home groups. The word prayer, there's, there's seven types or six types of words used for prayer in Greek, this word is prosecumai. It means to, to pray specific prayers or intercessions according to something. In other words, they were going to their home groups, fellowshipping together, and then praying according to the apostles' teaching. God, I heard, I heard Paul teach this on Sunday. I heard, I heard Peter teach this on Sunday. I heard James teach about this on Sunday. Lord, I heard, and they began to Pray about, pray according to the things that they heard teached, taught. They, they, begin to, they begin to pray about all of the things that they were receiving in ministry in the large gatherings. God, God, you said that I need to begin to reach out to the people around me. 
Lord, what areas of, of my life am I holding back? How am I keeping you from using me to reach someone else in my community? God, how, how, how can I begin to affect the world around me? Lord, begin to show me what I can do to see our city transform. And they begin to pray according to the things they heard taught. And so I want to challenge you, when you come to church on Sundays, Wednesdays, whenever you show up here, that, that you don't just go home and say, oh, that was a great message. I really enjoyed that. Or man, that was an awesome time of worship. No, I want you to come in and I want you to get something in your belly. I want there to be a Holy Ghost deposit in your spirit, man, that when you leave here from church, you can go home and you can begin to talk about it with your spouse. You can begin to talk about it with your co-workers. You can begin to talk about it with those that you're around and say, man, this is what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. This is what he's doing in my life. Lord, what, what is it that you want to work out in me? God, what is it that you want to do in my life? God, when I'm standing at Walmart in the checkout line and I'm looking at that cashier and I'm thinking, man, I wish you'd hurry up and get through my groceries. And God, what is it that you want me to say to her instead of fussing and complaining in, in your mind about the situation? God, how can I be used by you in this situation? When you're at work and your boss is telling you all the good work you got to do that week. God, I don't like this man. Begin to pray and ask God, how can I be a blessing to him? I had one of, when I worked for the law firm, I had one of the attorneys call me in one time. And he said, you know, you're not like the other Christians around here. We have a lot of Christians that sit around here and judge people. And judge us because we drink and judge us because we do all these things. He said, but you don't do that. He said, you don't, he said, you don't participate in those things. He said, but you, you're not judge, judgmental of us. He said, you're not throwing the Bible at us and all that. He said, but there's something different about you. He said, you, your work ethic. Your work ethic is different. You're a hard worker. He said, you do more work than a lot of the other Christians around here. He said, you're loving, you're gentle with people. Our clients like you and begins to tell me about, and he said, you know what? And I had been praying for this guy for a while. And he was, you know, very hard-hearted guy. Very professional, but very hard-hearted, very shielded. And he said, I have to be careful what I say because he may get the podcast. But he said, but, but he said to me, I was, on, I was on the way flying back from a, from a court appearance, whatever he was doing, deposition, whatever. He said, I was on, I was flying back. And he said, this guy next to me starts talking to me. And he said, this guy starts saying, you know, hey, you know, how are you doing? It's just conversation. They start talking. And he said, he starts asking me how, what I believe about Jesus and the Bible. And he said, I just think it's a bunch of stories. He said, I don't think it's, he said, it's not real. It didn't happen. It's just a bunch of good stories. It's a storybook. And he says, this guy pulls out this book, 40 Days of Purpose and Purpose Driven Life, and he starts to talk about how he's been reading the Bible and how he's uh, finding new purpose for his life and all these things. And he said, I didn't know how to respond to that. He starts talking to me about Jesus, like, like he knows the guy or something. And he's, so what do you think? And he looks at me and says, so what do you think about that? I'll tell you what I think about that. <laughs> I've been waiting for this opportunity. <laughs> And so I began to share with him about salvation. I shared, I went through the whole gospel message with him. I had the, everybody that I worked with in that place sat around. I had one day, somebody started making criticisms about the gay agenda or something like that. I don't even remember. It was something extreme. And one of, one of the investigators that I worked with, her cousin was 
gay or something along those lines. And she and I wasn't even a part of the conversation. I, I, as soon as I heard the conversation, I'm, like, I'm doing my own work. I am not getting involved in this. Nothing good is going to come out of this. It's just going to be turned into a religious debate. I was just trying to stay out of it. I knew where it was headed. And I'm sitting there doing my work, and I'm keeping an ear open, and all of a sudden, she comes back to my desk. Well, Zach, preacher man, what do you think about this? I mean, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven, and my cousin's a good person, so they're going to heaven, right? And I just looked at her and just smiled, and I just thought, oh, God, where is this going to go? And she said, well, how do you get to heaven? I said, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you. And so I began to share salvation. It doesn't matter how good you are. There's people burning in hell today that were much better than you and I are. It has nothing to do with how good of a person you are. The only way to heaven, Jesus said, is through him. The only way to the Father, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I begin to share life and hope. And, and so you never know in those opportunities what God's going to do. But you begin to pray and you ask God, Lord, give me a divine appointment. And then six, the sixth area of supernatural ministry that we see here is that everyone, this phrase, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. In other words, that word there means to establish or to create. It's the same word that's used in the Our Father prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. It's the word to establish. God wants to establish a sense of awe or reverence for his presence. In other words, these disciples, these, these apostles and followers of, uh, of the way is what it was called at the time. There was, there was no way they were going to sit in judgment there was no way they were going to sit in judgment of their leadership. There was no way they were going to sit in judgment of what God was doing. They were not in conflict with their leadership. They were not in conflict with what was happening. They were fully yielded and reverence to the work of God in that place. God help us that we have an attitude of reverence and fear. that We may not always understand and we may think, wow, we've seen some odd things today, brother. That's in scripture. Sometimes people walked away and said, we've seen some exceptional works amongst us today. They may not fully understood it, but they weren't going to sit in judgment against it. They understood and reverenced the work of God, that this is God at work in their midst. And then we see the other, the, the other sign, uh, supernatural ministry, is signs and wonders. The Bible says that supernatural signs and wonders were done by the apostles. The Bible says in Matthew 10, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go and preach. Go and preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Heal the lepers. Cast out devils. Freely you've received. Freely give. When's the last time you cast out a devil? Or raised the dead? Or healed a leper? When's the, when's the last time you went out and said, God, use me to accomplish supernatural works? It's not just for the, the pulpit ministry. It's not just for church. It's for the streets. That's where real ministry happens. Yeah. It's finding the person that's hurting and broken, the person that's in a wheelchair and can't walk, and say, God can heal you. Get up and walk. It's, it's a person, maybe at work, who just has a headache. And you say, I know that God can heal your headache. In the name of Jesus, that headache's got to go. And watch the headache leave. It's really that easy. And if it doesn't happen, just blame God. Sorry, he didn't do it. It's his reputation. Maybe he's sleeping. I don't know. I'm just joking. But of course, there's supernatural signs and wonders that are taking place in our community. God, I want to be a church that operates in signs and wonders. 
I'm glad all five of you agree. I want to be a church that operates in signs and wonders. When people are sick, they know where to turn. When people are depressed, they know where to turn. When people need marriage help, they know where to turn. Why? Because there's supernatural signs and wonders taking place. I believe in good teaching and I believe in good preaching, but there's nothing that can replace the supernatural touch of God when signs and wonders are active. I believe that we need to educate people, but man, we've educated people to death. We need the touch of heaven in our small groups, in our ministries, in our homes. We need the supernatural at work in our life. And it's for you, and it's for me. God's no respecter of persons. And then thirdly, God is glorified through persecution. Now, I know you all are going to start shouting on this one. God loves to be glorified in the midst of persecution. Go with me to Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to wrap up with this today. Acts chapter 16, we find a great example of persecution. Of course, we know that right after the uh, you know, the preaching and, and the healing in Acts 2, 3, and 4. We see Stephen get stoned. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But Acts 16 gives us a great picture of persecution. Here we find in Acts chapter 16, in verse 22, it says, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Now, I, I got news for you. When, you. when the leaders, the city leaders start tearing off their clothes, they're mad. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in the prison. We're talking about Paul and Silas. Threw them in the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to stocks. And, but at midnight, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are still here. And he called for light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, God will take your persecution, your hardship, and he'll use it to minister to those around you. This... this prison guard was ready to take his life. Him, the Bible says, and his whole household was saved that day. And so I want to tell you this morning that no matter what you're facing, no matter what your difficult days are, God will use those difficulties to minister to the hurting and the broken around you. Stephen, we find the story of Stephen. Stephen is, Stephen is waiting on tables. I'm going to wrap up with this story. Stephen is waiting on tables. He's a deacon. He's waiting on tables. The Bible says that he was full of the Holy Ghost. Signs and wonders were happening. Man, this guy wasn't, a, he wasn't one of the apostles. He, just one of the, he was just one of the leaders in the church. But man, he was flowing in signs and wonders. Supernatural things were happening. He was preaching, laying hands on people. And in comes Saul. Saul comes in and he begins to... He begins to see all this happening. And he orders that Stephen be stoned to death. They begin to stone Stephen. And the people that were stoning Stephen laid their garments at Saul's feet. 
Of course, we know the story that later Saul becomes Paul. Paul has, Saul has a conversion, dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road and becomes Paul. And if you follow the story of Paul's life and you, and you read the messages that Paul preaches and you compare them to what Stephen was preaching, Paul was preaching Stephen's message. Paul went on to preach where Stephen left off. The very man that he ordered to die left such an impression, such a dr drastic impression on his life that he picked up that mantle and began to preach it himself. And I have a question for you today. If you knew that the persecution that you were facing and that laying down your life, your dreams, your visions, your hopes, your desires, if laying those things down meant that a Saul would become Paul, would you be willing to do it? Would you be willing to lay down your life and say, God, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it looks like. I just want to see people transformed. I want to see your kingdom advance. I want to see this city changed. Stephen was willing to lay down his life. And the Bible says that God got up off of his seat and was watching the death of Stephen. And Stephen looks up and he sees Jesus standing there. I wonder, I wonder if the life we lived caused Jesus to stand. Every other time in Scripture we see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father interceding. But when Stephen laid down his life, he stood. You and I are part of a supernatural community. You and I are part of a supernatural work in this city of Akron and the, and the greater uh, greater Akron area in this region, the Great Lakes region. Man, I feel like God has spoken when we moved here. I had a dream before I moved here about revival coming to the Great Lakes region. God gave, and I, I, I'm not even going to share it. It was one of those things that it was all, it was like, okay, God's going to do something supernatural. And it was, it was awesome. And I believe that revival is coming to the Great Lakes region. But I'm telling you this, it will cost us something. It will cost us to lay down our lives and be willing to be willing to be different, to be willing to step out of the box, to be to be willing to be that holy roller church, to be willing to be that church that that does things a little bit different. But it's the church where the presence of God is. But it's the church where the power of God is. I don't care about the I don't care about the titles. I just want to be the house where God is. I just want to be like Obed-Edom that said, oh no, you ain't taking the Ark of the Covenant from my house. If you take that sucker, I'm going with you. David, if you're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, that's the presence of God. If, you, if that's leaving my house, I'm going with it. And Obed-Edom packed up his stuff and he became a doorkeeper, the Bible says, in the house of the Lord. And so, I don't care, God, about the titles. I just want to be where the presence of the Lord is. I want you pray with me this morning. Lord, I just thank you that you are forming, you are fashioning a supernatural house, a supernatural community. And Lord, I just pray even this morning as we receive communion, Lord, that again, communion echoing the work of God at, in the midst of us, that you're building and forming a community based on the body and the blood of your son, Jesus, that you're forming and fashioning a supernatural community. And Lord, I just pray that as we move into a time of receiving communion, Lord, that you would, that you would implant, 
on our spirit, man, this morning, this need, this urgency to be a part, to be plugged in, and to be a vital part of this community that you're forming here in Akron. And Lord, a, a part that affects this region. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.